Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we no longer talk about Animorphs because we've already done that. But we're not ready to say goodbye to Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. Turns out they wrote more books. What? Books that we will be reading and casually discussing? You bet. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month as we morph into the Apple Grant Book Club. Also, all right. And moderately okay. That's a good amount and of okays to be. Yes. Although I should have responded, I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm not okay. okay. <laughs> well, if you wanted honesty, that's all you had to say. what happened i don't know how we got here but i am so excited that we're here yay Yay! we did it Woohoo! <laughs> you know you know what i'm not excited about though what world war Two. ah uh, yes i was wondering when that was going to dampen our mood <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted to have some fun before this yeah Uh. yeah i felt like this part was simultaneously longer and shorter than other parts because i feel like it was only like i feel like there weren't as many chapters but the chapters were longer yeah i don't know yeah i think i mean i feel like that's accurate And the chapters were very, very intense as well. They were, yes. Um, But like half of the chapters were like, we sat around and anticipated things and felt bad and played cards. And then it was like, the the shit got real for sure. Which I, I feel is very accurate for the war times. Like, I feel like there's a lot of either zero miles per hour of just like waiting around or like 160 miles an hour where you're like you know watching your friends die and shit yeah exactly and like i i feel like the other part of that too is that it just really kept building up the anticipation for what was coming and it's like yeah absolutely so intense when it did because it's like oh yeah we spent four chapters just like Waiting, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I'd rather go back to the waiting, actually? I was wrong. Yeah! Yeah, for <laughs> sure! Like, oh man. The the tension just ramped up so beautifully in, like, Rio's chapter when, when they're on the Mediterranean. Oh my god. And, like, just from the very beginning where she's like, oh, like, the, the officer's seemed worried and she was like you know not participating in the banter because she was like too focused on watching them and thinking about what was going to happen to like when she actually like goes right before they get off the craft onto the beach like it's just so fucking good 
It. Oh my god! And the moment between her and Janelle as they were mm-hmm. about to disembark. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, it's really it's interesting because so far I feel like Rio is the driving force. She's like the the arrow of of the story where it's like most of the wartime and military experience is going to come from her perspective. And I kind of feel like Rainy and Frangie are just kind of like the fletching at the end of the arrow where they're kind of like, here are a couple different perspectives that aren't as prominent, but like Rio is kind of like the driving force of the story. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I think it does. I think it does. Um, like she's she's going to be the classic part of this story that's going to kind of like allow for those mm-hmm. side sort of yeah i was just going to say she's like the the main player character yeah yeah but like those side stories are not any less brutal or horrific <laughs> oh for sure and like i feel this way about a lot of media where it's like you have the main character and you see most of the things happening from their perspective, but I'm actually more interested in some of the side or the minor characters because Mm -hmm. you have to give so much more information with a lot less time. And a lot of the times it's just a lot more meaningful and a lot more intriguing. Yeah. So instead of being like given all this information, you're just given these little snippets and there's like an enigma about them and you want to know more. Mm -hmm. So so I think that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I love, you know, Rio's perspective on not the mushy romance parts, but, you know, everything else is great. But, like, <sighs> I'm just so intrigued by Frangie, and I'm so intrigued by Rainy, and, and yeah. I mean, same. Same. I want to hear so much more from them. But I have, I had such a, a thought about the mushy romance stuff, though, this time. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, specifically the part where it's like, as they are going to shore to land the boats and they're about to like get off and run into potential death and danger and everything. And like, all of that is mounting up and she keeps having these thoughts like, oh, Jack is right there. He's right there. Blah, blah, blah. And Mm -hmm. like, I know that like a lot of the times that would be really frustrating because it's like, oh, it's like trying to say like oh all girls think about it as well but like i fucking love that because it was one of those such a mundane thought and such a crazy scenario like you know when like somebody dies and then all of a sudden you're like ah fuck i'm gonna have to empty their underwear drawer like ooh, like it's that that was kind of what it was for me like she's about to go into this thing that she can't fathom so she starts having all of these thoughts that are things that she can fathom like oh yeah. I guess I do. Yeah. And like, I fucking loved the way that that ended up playing out. I mean, yeah, like, oh my God. And there's like, I don't mind the romance in general. Like, I don't mind mm-hmm. if these girls have somebody that they are attracted to and that they have feelings for. Like, that's fine. It's just, there's just been such a huge emphasis on it yeah and not i don't think it's been executed well is what i'm trying to say like yeah like the I, strand I stuff, agree with that yeah like even 
so spoilers for everybody listening she and jack do make out in this part but like i'm not jazzed about it because like they've barely had any interaction up until this point and i get it it's like some of it is kind of you know you can't include every aspect of everyone's life in this book because it would be like ten thousand pages long (laughs) but they've had no development all we know is that rio thinks jack is hot and that's it I'm yep. not feeling the relationship. It's not developed enough for me. She's actually had a shit ton more development with Strand at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not so, like that that wasn't the part that I was super jazzed about or anything. It was mm-hmm. totally for me the part that I thought it worked super well in was very specifically like right before they landed on the beach. Like that was I, it. I agree. Yes, I agree. And that's why I wish all the romance shit had been like pulled back so much because mm-hmm. I think a line lines like that would have hit so much harder. Yeah. If we like, didn't know how Gaga she was over these guys. Yeah. Because like, it's just been hammered into us at this point, And it just, it's kind of like, it just kind of adds on top of the pile of like, okay, we get it. She likes these guys, whatever. But like, if you had just like played down a lot of that and just made it really subtle, I think that would have hit so hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Sorry, I got really excited there, and I probably talked over you a little bit, and I'm sorry about that. You did not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I, I'm sorry. I want to like keep getting into it, but like I, I don't know if we should just jump into the recap and then keep talking about it because like the stuff I want to talk about next is like the last two chapters that we like chapter twenty three oh, sure. and twenty four. Sure. Okay. Yeah, we can yeah. jump into it. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're in. This is part four for our podcast, but it's the start of part two in the book for everybody listening. If you want to follow along, we. Okay. So similar to part one, we have a couple of interstitial uh, chapters that are just kind of setting the scene to start off with. Um, So for the setting, it is the opening days of 1943. At this point, the Nazis control most of Europe, except for a small handful of neutral countries. Uh, Mussolini fucked up real bad, and his remaining army are completely dependent on the Germans. Uh, The French Vichy are sending French Jewish people to the camps, and the German army narrowly avoided taking Russia. Uh, The British are currently holding the Western Mediterranean, and the Americans have arrived in Northwest Africa, and they are eager to strike a blow on the Germans. The Allies are convinced that they have the upper hand, but the Germans have a different view. So that's kind of where we are. Um, There's a couple of, like, quotes in here from, uh, like, a general and Winston Churchill, and it's it's just kind of, like, window dressing, like, oh, we're gonna stop the Germans, blah, 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 they're you know, the Americans are here now and everything's going to work out just fine. Blah, blah, blah. Um, (laughs) And then we have another interstitial chapter from our mysterious author who we don't know who they are. Um, And do you want me to read this one as well? Or do you want me to just kind of sum it up? It's up to you. I, I did think it was very, like, another very powerful summary. It's up to you, though. Okay. Um, I'm just going to read it just for... uh, Consistency. uh, 
Yeah, that's the one. I almost said contingency. I'm all like... For contingency oh, plans. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the word I'm looking for. All right. Thus do our young heroines train and prepare and ship off for war, gentle reader. Unfilet, defilade, bandaging, and spycraft, but the war is not yet real to them. It is out there, waiting for them, but they have no sense of what it is, really. It is vague, indistinct. It's something concealed from view by fog so thick that even the sound of cannon would be easily mistaken for thunder. What do you think of my girls, gentle, gentle reader? Aimless, naive Rio, and sexy Genou. Smart, determined Rainy, and gentle, conflicted Frangi. Could you see yourselves sitting down to tea with these girls? Would it surprise you to learn that one of them went on to gun down three unarmed German prisoners? Would it shock you to learn that one lit her cigarette from the flames of a burning German SS officer? We understood nothing, you see. We thought we were soldiers, but we were still civilians dressed in khaki and OD. None of us had yet felt the fear so overpowering that you shake all the way down to your bones and your bladder empties into your pants and you can't speak for the chattering of your teeth. None of us had yet seen the red pulsating insides of another human being. We had not yet killed, and that, gentle reader, is what we had been trained to do. We had made friends among our fellow soldiers, male and female, but we as yet had no idea who these men and what these men and women could do, for we had as yet no idea what would be required of us. It seems impossible to me now, as I sit here deciding whether to bully an orderly into bringing me coffee, scratching the itch beneath my bandage, typing away in this dark and gloomy place, and... Damn it, the screaming again. Someone trapped in a nightmare or in some more present physical agony. I was attempting eloquence, gentle reader, and was interrupted by the raw urgency of another woman's pain. It serves me right, I suppose. My own leg hurts, my breasts hurt, and I'm not that poor woman screaming in the night, am I? Will you understand if I tell you that there are times when it is better to feel the pain yourself than it is to see it and hear it in another? Helplessness is a big part of war. Helplessness and confusion and boredom, too. So that at times you tell the woman or man beside you that you'd rather be getting shot at. But that's always a lie. Something you say, too. I'm getting ahead of myself. I am not here to ruminate and philosophize or to attempt eloquence. I'm here to tell the story, our story. Much of the time, my fingers fairly dance over the keys, and the sheets of paper go flying in and out. But right now, as I write this, each letter is a struggle. For now, our story leaves behind the sweet, before it enters the darker after. Where is this war, you wonder? Enough of the familiar. Show me the blood and guts. When do we get to the killing and the dying? Well, it is very near now, gentle reader, for we are going to North Africa to the desert where the Brits have the famed German Africa Corps on the run after many battles. The Americans have landed against some resistance from the Vichy French, most of which crumbled soon enough. It was supposed to be a pincer movement. Brits to the east in Egypt and Libya, Americans to the west in Morocco and Algeria, with the Germans, a few Italians, and a sprinkling of unrepentant French collaborators running out of fuel, tanks, and ammo, trapped helplessly between the two. We had yet to learn war, and we had yet to learn that the kraut was never helpless. One more boat ride and we will arrive at the front lines in Tunisia. And there, gentle reader, you'll get your blood and guts. Yeah. It's so it's interesting because, yeah, it's very brutal. Um, although it's interesting because I think we were guessing that it was Rio writing this. Mm-hmm. But but then the, the person referred to Rio in like the third person. Mm-hmm. Like, 
So, I don't know. What if we find out this whole time it's Sano writing it? <gasps> oh. Hmm. That would be crazy interesting. That would be. <laughs> I could see her describing herself as sexy, though. Yeah, like, that's that's like, actually one of the things that, like, did it for me. Because I was like, everybody else had, like, descriptors that had to do with, like, a lot more, like, of their personality or whatever. And then just sexy Janot. That's it. That's that's interesting. Because, yeah, that really jumped out to me. Is like, that's kind of a weird, like, very shallow description of her. Yeah. But, oh, Alex, maybe it's, yeah. It might be. Oh, oh my God. That would be so wow. cool. <laughs> oh, I, I like subscribing to this, this headcanon <laughs> now. <laughs> We're going to be so wrong by the time we get to the end of it. <laughs> it it's going to be like Sergeant Mackey or something. <laughs> oh, holy shit. Uh, yeah, that'd be wild. That would be wild. It's going to be like somebody mentioned in the beginning. I don't know, but I like the idea that it's it Rachel. <laughs> Oh! 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 No, I mean that's not super uncommon though. I mean, if she, it's if she was not on a uncommon, and... it's not uncommon. But, but she could have lived. She could have lived. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, none of this. None of this. It's confirmed. We are just speculating. Wildly but. speculating, I would say, with almost no evidence. <laughs> oh, this is fine. Okay. Uh, now we have another uh, section of letters from the girls. Uh, Frangie writes to Pastor Medale, and she explains that she doesn't mean to worry him, but there's no one else she feels comfortable talking to in her unit, and she doesn't want to worry her family with this. She has arrived in Redacted, and has been put on a ward for the British soldiers who don't seem as concerned about being treated by black folks. She says she's already seen some shit, and then she launches into a story about a boy who got hit by a passing 88 shell, and it took off a big chunk of his face. The field medic tried to sew it back on, but it didn't take, and the flesh turned septic, and they had to cut it back off. Um, yep. At that point, it was too late. The infection spread down his neck and up into his head and into his brain, and he was raving before finally dying. Um, she doesn't think many of these boys will have any kind of life because of this war. She's angry at God for letting this happen, and she has blasphemed and repented as best she could, but she is still angry. She asks the pastor to pray for her. Off to a good start. Very strong start. Yeah. Nice and gruesome. Yep. <laughs> uh rainy writes to her father um again proving that she's much better at avoiding the censors um but she tells him that she knows about the numbers running 
She was surprised and disappointed to find out, but she understands why he did it. Um, and she also tells him that Arye has fallen in love with a girl who is not Jewish and they have a child on the way. Hooray! <laughs> I, uh, I was shocked that she included that in the letter. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you were shocked, but I was shocked. Yeah, I was a little taken aback at that. I'm kind of... Because she says, like, numbers running. Yeah. Yeah, she says, let me start by saying I know about the numbers running they found out during an investigation of my background. Yeah, that's that's interesting she would put that in the letter. Yeah. Like, all of it. Like, her entire letter was shocking. Yeah. Huh. I like that she yeah, is even- so good at keeping secrets for the army, but is just like, let me blow up my entire family shit. Goodbye. Yeah. That's a good point. Because, like, her whole character is that, like, she's very secretive and doesn't give away information. And yet she's like, this is what I know about you. And uh, here is the full name of the girl that, that my brother is in love with. And... <laughs> Yeah, that's fucking wild. I, I'm also surprised the censors didn't necessarily censor Arya's name. Well, like, why would they? She's not... Like, it's not giving away any know. information that isn't public information. Except that he's in the military. I mean, like, it's... Impl- whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, but that's... like, it didn't have his location or, like, unit or, like, any information at all about him. Or, yeah, or what branch he was in, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> she's She, like, does a postscript. She's like, I promise the next letter will have fewer surprises. She like, can't right. promise that. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's funny. Um, and then the last letter is Rio writing to Strand and basically telling him I had a great time with him on the boat making out with his face. Um, She tells him that they're headed off somewhere. It's redacted. And most importantly, she tells him that even though she doesn't want to seem contrary or argumentative, she was upset when he said that she was playing soldier. And even though she thought of it, yeah, finally, finally, fuck off strand. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck off strand. Take that. Uh, Got him. <laughs> she goes on to explain that she thought of it that way in the beginning, but she's going to do her best with what lies ahead and hopes that he will be proud of her. And maybe after the war, someday they'll go see another movie together. Yay. But yes, tell him off. Seriously, tell him off. He's a fucking dick. <laughs> I love how she was like, she like she did like the classic like woman sending an email thing where she's like I don't want to sound argumentative or contrary but blah 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 <laughs> like the fucking like <laughs> I have to use emojis to like soften my sentences and exclamation yep. points and add a no worries if not at the end of the email <laughs> I just saw this thing today that was like 
here's a template of every email that I send. It's like, hi, I'm so sorry to bother you. I'm sorry for existing. I'm sorry if I bugged you. If it's inconvenient oh to you God. at all, I'll go kill myself. Really, thanks. Bye. <laughs> like, oh my God. It's so <laughs> fucking true. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's so true. Mm-hmm. I can't even. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yep, Rhea wrote an email just like that. <laughs> yep. A little bit better than that. Also, she softened it. She did like the critique thing where she pointed out a thing she liked, a thing she didn't like, and followed up with a thing she liked. <laughs> a sandwich. <laughs> she made a sandwich. <laughs> she made a critique sandwich. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was explaining that to Matt the other day because Matt was all like, oh, sometimes I feel like I'm very critical of things and I only point out the bad things. And I was like, dude, critique sandwich. Let me tell you about it. Yeah. It's the only way to go, man. It is. It's very effective. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to bother you. Sorry for existing. I'm sorry for exi- I'm sorry my existence is an inconvenience for you. I will kill myself immediately if you'd like me to. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god. That's uh, legit how it feels like every email that I write. Oh my god, yeah. Ugh. Fuck. <laughs> this is how my the, my inner voice in my head all the time. Yep. <laughs> I still remember I was in San Francisco, we were walking somewhere, and a bicyclist almost ran into me, and I said sorry to the bicyclist that that almost ran into me. (laughs) I I at least, I don't know if I told you directly, but I at least posted in the Discord the other day, I apologized to the garage door because I hit the button twice, so it closed and then (laughs) opened again. I was like, oh, I'm I'm so sorry. (laughs) I do that too, I apologize to objects, or I apologize for making a loud noise. (laughs) And there's no one around. Um, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Like, it's just, if you say sorry enough, the attacker won't kill you. Like, it's literally, like, when you told me that people with, like, really high-pitched voices, like, use that as, as like, mm-hmm. a defense mechanism and might come from, like, abusive backgrounds or something. Like... Mm-hmm. That's been sticking in my head. And I'm like, that's why we're so apologetic because we're afraid and we want to pacify psychologically. Yep. Yep. That's fucked. Fucked. Men, take note. You fucking cis men, take notes. That's how a lot of women feel all the time. Anyway. (laughs) That's, you know what? This immediately made something pop into my head that's so bad. Um, okay. I I realized that one way to tell if I am super comfortable with you as a person is if I am uh-huh. giving you a critique and I don't put on the second bread half. I just do the first half and then the critique. <laughs> I am extremely comfortable with you if I do that. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. <laughs> That's so fucked. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> is it a soup a salad or a sandwich <laughs> it's a 
Oh, God. I'll ask. Hang on. Let me write it down. I haven't done my soup salad sandwich homework, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and write uh, a compliment and then an apology. Oh, my Great. God. Got it. <laughs> Getting abstract in soup salad sandwich. We already did the earth, so. <laughs> uh, and France, yes. And France. And Italy, maybe, too? All right. Cincinnati. That's a pasta. No, that was... <laughs> Which is? <laughs> Which is a salad. I don't know. I think you're right. I think it's a salad. <laughs> it has to be. Okay, this is be. the wrong podcast. Parts. Okay, anyways. <laughs> anyways. Uh, so... Rio and her squad are on the Tiburon, which is another boat. Yay, boats! Um, it, they're being tossed about in frantic waves around the Mediterranean. It's all fun. Uh, Janu complains the Queen Mary was way better than this. Um, everybody's huddled under a gangway on the port side of the boat, and they are seasick and wet and cold and uncomfortable, and it sucks. Um, but at least it's better being up here on the deck than being down below, because at least there's fresh air. Um, Jack proceeds to make fun of them because the Americans are not boat savvy. Stick threatens to punch him in the face, but Jack produces a bottle of whiskey from inside his coat. Yay, drink the pain away. Um. <laughs> the only thing that found my head was the, fuck the pain away. That's exactly where I was going. Okay, great. You nailed it. Suck, suck in on my titties like you wanted me calling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. What a great song. Um, so good. So, Rio's a baby and she's never had whiskey before, but she doesn't want to be excluded. And Jack lets her drink first. And he starts a rounding song of Rule Britannia. And they all proceed to get fucking wasted and eventually join in. And Rio is like, oh my god, he has such a nice singing voice. And Janu is having a good time watching Rio be a stupid drunk. Um, and then Janu notices Jack and Rio making eyes at each other. And then she goes to make eyes at Tilo, but he is already passed out. Stick drags him away, and Janu can see that Kerwin is just kind of drunkenly staring off into space. And she makes a comment about how if she wanted to take care of drunk people, she could have stayed home and helped pour her father into bed. Which, like, holy shit! Whew. Like, wow. <laughs> that, that was just a lot of dumping. Yeah, that was that was quite a little bomb to drop, just casually. Yeah. Um, but I also kind of loved it. Me too. Me too. <sighs> It was just, like, shocking the way it was put in there. You're like, wait, what now? Like, sorry, what? (laughs) I'm sorry, what? She's like, oh, look at all of you being drunk and having fun. My parents are alcoholics. And it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Shit. Well, then. Well, then. Well, then. Um... So she starts leading Kerwin away, presumably to go put him to bed. And Rio feels very sad for her friend because her parents are heavy drinkers. And Janu re- whispers to her, Rio, you are drunk. Do not do anything dumb. And Rio is like, blah, blah, blah. And Janu is like, <laughs> and Janu is like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm coming back to get you. Don't move. And 
in like the maybe five or ten minutes that Janu is gone, and three pages of of Jack and Rio drunkenly flirting with each other. Long story short, they start making out, tongues and everything. It's awesome, and Rio knows that it's wrong, but she keeps going anyway. And then of course Janu comes back and totally fucking catches them. Hooray! They finally smooch made out. Finally. After all these yeah. two to three pages is that we've been waiting. <laughs> I will say, though, that even though I didn't personally care, the way it was described as, like, being drunk and, like, letting the other person know that you want to make out with them because you're both drunk, very accurate. Very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I've been here several times. Shit. <laughs> I will admit, uh, though, that I felt a much, like, not not overly strong for anybody, but I felt a much stronger connection between these two than Strand and Rio. Uh, okay. I mean, I, we've just, we've just, like, Jack's just around, though. Like, he's not... Again, he's we haven't. I haven't dude. seen them have. He's just a spare dude. He's just a spare. Oh, this was straight um, up just the makeout session, like not like emotional, like blah blah blah. Just when they started kissing, they this was like a lot more attraction physically than the other two. Like their kissing was much better. Oh than yeah. Between Rio oh yeah. And Strand. Yeah. Wh- which okay, let's break that down. Love that okay. because Jack is like, you know, he's. Obviously, he sees Rio as an equal. He's like, oh, you're not playing soldier. You are a soldier. Like, we're soldiers together. Like, that's cool. And I think that does come across when they make out. Because it's not like... Rio's not worried about, like, oh, I'm a girl. I can't make the first move. Blah, blah, blah. There's a hierarchy Mm -hmm. here. No, it's just like, give me your face now. So, that was cool, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I like that much better but, than anything with Strand, where I'm like, oh, this is awkward and horrible, and I hate it. Yeah, and they're trying to play the whole conventions of a heterosexual couple of the time, and it's bleh. Um, bleh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the patriarchy. Anyway. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> I'm going to fucking burn down the pa- patriarchy somehow. I don't know. Yes. Plans yes. in the works. But also, I kind of wish before this point, Rio and Jack had had some sort of conversation together, maybe just the two of them, but that has not happened. Jack's just always been like tangentially around just this hot fucking British dude who's just around, which is fine, I guess. But yeah. For for as much like inner dialogue as Rio has about like oh my god Jack he's so hot and perfect and blah it's like okay but I want to see that on manifest on the page I don't want to just have Rio tell me how much she thinks Jack is hot like I want to see the fucking interaction and that that's really my biggest gripe with like how the romance is playing out because I get what she's doing with Strand I get that like she feels like she's following this sort of script and now mm-hmm. it's getting to the point where like. She can't really follow a script because they are both soldiers and, like, there's obviously some, like, tension there. But, like, yeah. yeah. I'm not I'm not buying any sort of, like, romance with Jack based on what we've seen so far, I guess. No. 
no, just physical attraction. No, no long-lasting relationship cues at all. Just, yeah, better at making out. Yeah, which is fine. Like again, you can have a relationship with someone that's purely physical, not emotional. But I feel like. I don't know. Maybe this is me projecting. Maybe it is all physical, and I'm projecting that Rio wants more, but maybe she doesn't. I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever even find out based off of, like, there's no way that we're going to be able to, in a in a sort of innocent, healthy way, go back to relationship land after the next few chapters of this book. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's another... Um, there's another line in here that I like where she's talking about how, like, she has a picture of Strand in her pocket with, you know, pictures of her parents or whatever. And there's a line that says, like, Strand was there close to her heart. Jack was there close. Mm-hmm. Which I really, really like that line. Yeah. And I think there's also definitely an emphasis of, like, using her attraction to like escape the reality of the situation like she's like i don't want to think about war i don't want to think about the stamp man there's a hot guy over here i'm gonna look at him instead which is like totally understandable you know well shit well shit i don't know i'm just very i'm very particular about romances in books they have to be paced just right and that's how I feel. That's very fair. <laughs> uh, what else? What else we got about this chapter, if anything? Hmm. I don't think so. I think that pretty much covered all the uh, important stuff. We don't find out about the yeah. kitten until later. So, yeah, this is a <gasps> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, the kitten's the most important part. Of course, um, of every book. All right. Um, oh, and I think we haven't technically actually ended the chapter because we're now going to cut over to Frangie, who is on the same ship, and she is rereading a letter from her mother that basically says, your father got a job, everything's cool now, you can come home. And she that... is fucking pissed. And how do you feel about this? <laughs> I was so, I'm so heartbroken for her. Like, yeah. I am, oh my god, like... She fucking gave up everything to save her family. And mm -hmm. then, like, I was so mad at her mom. Because, like, mm -hmm. in what in what world can you just come home from the army? Like, you get it together. You can't. You can't. You literally cannot. And, like, I, I was so livid at her mom for sending that i was so heartbroken for her to basically be told oh all of the sacrifices that you made all of like the work that you did the boot camp how shitty everything has been risking your life yeah you didn't need to do it it was no big deal like your dad got a job we're fine like mm, i'm so fucking mad for her and then like at the same time this is probably one of the only ways at this time with what's going on that she has a shot at becoming a doctor mm -hmm. so i'm also like not all is lost but i am livid at her family yeah and like i'm not necessarily 
I'm more mad at the utter naivete of her mom being like, okay, you can come home now. Mm-hmm. Like, cause like the situation, it's like, okay, maybe she did go and she was able to support them for however long that she was doing whatever. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, they could have used that like three months or whatever of, of her, her, uh, stipend or whatever but right i don't think that's the right word but the fucking like you can come home now it's like no 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 like are you not aware that that you can't just leave the army or you will be court-martialed like that that's just like that's just like the kick in the gut for me because it's like if it had been like hey so here's the deal your father got a job like that's still infuriating but also The fucking, like, come home now is, that's the really upsetting part to me. I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. It's just. The whole situation's shit. Yeah. Yep. And she is very mad and she bundles up her coat and screams into it. And she is shaken back to reality by a white sailor that comes by and he says that some of the black soldiers need medical care and that her lieutenant volunteered her. So she follows him to the sick bay, which is segregated, and she spots Sergeant Green. And he is helping out by tossing a guy onto an already occupied gurney, <laughs> which I laughed very hard. <laughs> like, it's... It, it's not great that they don't have any unoccupied gurneys, but it's funny to think about just like, there's already a dude there and he just like plops yeah. another dude on top of him. He's like, Hey, <laughs> learn to share idiots. <laughs> yeah. I did like that very much. Yeah. Um, so he spots her and he's like, come help me with this fool. And she works for a solid two hours on a multitude of injuries without a break, and then Sergeant Green surprises her with a cup of coffee, which she has not drank before, but I guess she does now. Yay, coffee! Um, He says he is sorry for snapping at her, and he invites her to join him outside for a cigarette. She doesn't smoke, but she joins him anyway, and they just start talking. And uh, we find out that his real name is Walter, he's from Iowa, and he is an engineer that designs trailers and mobile homes, and on the weekend, he plays bass in a little band. He takes off his glasses, and Frangie checks him out and feels very confused about it. He also seems confused and hastily exits. She heads back to her bunk, ready to be mad about the letter again, but instead she just thinks, Walter? Iowa? (laughs) I am already way more invested in this relationship than anything that Rio's got going on, because at least they had a fucking conversation. (laughs) 100% true and also in my mind it is also cassie's dad walter oh <gasps> alex <laughs> <laughs> why does this keep happening i don't know what the fuck why does it why why first there was toby and rachel and now walter and now walter Holy shit. Wait, hang on. Okay, I don't so think it works no. out in any narrative it do- way. It doesn't work out time-wise. Absolutely not. No. But I still, I'm like, dude. <laughs> dude. Although maybe it's her grandpa. Maybe oh, he her dad Walter is like, Jr. Wal- 
Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, oh shit. shit. Okay. And that's where she oh, They got shit. the medical streak. Yeah. I was, yeah. Oh my god. Oh shit. <laughs> New head cannon Frenchie is Cassie's grandmother. <laughs> I I'm I'm invested in this. I'm very invested in this. I love this. I love this. <laughs> Literally. Oh no! It all comes back to animorphs, everybody. <laughs> we're like, oh, we're gonna do all these other books and not talk about animorphs except for interstitial episodes. No, we're no. doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Pixar theory where all the Pixar movies take place in the same universe. Yes. Which I think we've mentioned before, but yes. I think we have, but like I still I'm still here for the Apple Grant universe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <gasps> oh wait, no, I think we've already talked about that too. I was gonna be like, oh my god, this is like like a serial rip kind of alternate <laughs> timeline thing. But I think you've you already brought up that up. I don't know. Whatever. It's been a while. I don't, I don't know if I shit. I don't remember it if I did, so yeah, this whole thing is an Animorphs AU past time portal fantasy. Shit. Oh. oh, man. Okay. Okay. Well, that was that was a revelation. That was a revelation. <laughs> I am shooketh, as the children I say. I am shooketh. <laughs> I am also shooketh. 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 All right, so now we get our only mention of Rainy in this part, but it is astoundingly good. I mean, it's so good, but I'm mad that it's only this. I know! She has such presence. Like, she only appears every once in a while, but it's it's like a mic drop every time. Okay, so she's also on the ship. She's in a slightly nicer bunk because she's a sergeant or whatever. Um, And she is studying Italian... Um, a sailor passes by and starts hitting on her, and she just kind of stares him down and doesn't say anything, which is such a power move. I love it. Um, he, yes. He asks her for her name, and she says it's Mussolini, and then he laughs and asks where she's headed, and she just says south. And eventually he just fucking leaves. I fucking love Rainy. Like, that's the whole thing. It's just a paragraph of her just, like, shooting this dude down. I love her so much. I, I fucking oh. love her so much. She was she's just so good. Like where where are you headed? It's like you're harassing me in my own fucking bed when I'm clearly busy. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> He's like the kind of dude where like if a woman's wearing headphones on the bus, he like comes up and bothers her. Oh my god. Uh. I just I just got so much secondhand frustration when you said that. Like oh. <laughs> Uh, I fucking hate that guy that like taps on your shoulder and you take your headphones off like waiting for like a question or something and it's like oh, I just want to tell you that like you look really pretty it's like what the fuck dude oh my god oh my god like don't do this like don't we put please. headphones on so we do not have to interact with creepy dudes like fucking leave us alone Okay, this is not a creepy dude story. Do you want to hear another headphones annoyance story? Yes. 
So I am the person that if I am quickly running into the grocery store and like doing self-checkout, I will put in headphones to be like, don't interact with me. I'm finding my fruits and whatever, and I am leaving. And <laughs> I'm finding one... my fruits. I'm finding my fruits and I'm out of here. And there was one night I went, I was in the self-checkout scanning things through. And this, the woman, this woman that worked at the store that was like monitoring the self-checkouts came over to me. And I, like, just kind of glanced up and then, like, kept scanning things in. And, like, she kept, like, she was hovering, standing there. So, finally, I took out my headphone and she was just there saying, like, so you have to scan this in like this. And I was already doing it. I was, like, I know. And I, I got so frustrated. I was, literally like, I know. And she's, like, okay. And she's, like, have a great night. And I'm, like, really? Like, you just came over here because I was wearing <laughs> headphones? To fuck with me? Like, really? And I got so mad at her. And so I put my headphone back in and finished checking out. And she, she, I saw her say, have a good night really loudly again as I was leaving. Because I looked up at her, but I did not take my headphone out to hear it. What the fuck? It was very frustrating. I was like, what the what? fuck, man? It's like, it's not even like the machine was yelling at you or anything. You were just minding no. your own fucking business and she had to come over right. and like mansplain how to scan your fucking bananas or whatever. I feel like <sighs> my impression of the whole situation was she just thought it was like rude or something that I had headphones in and she just was doing whatever she could to get me to take my headphones out. Oh. Jesus. Like, Why? <laughs> I just want to be fuck? left alone. <laughs> Uh, that's annoying it, it was annoying <laughs> but whatever anyways sorry so much that, that was unrelated okay? I apologize no it was related <laughs> fucking leave women alone don't talk to us yeah. ever never speak to women <laughs> never speak to women do not perceive me <laughs> do not perceive <laughs> I am an eldritch being. Do not perceive me, anyone. <laughs> Shit. Oh. There was an art. There was an artist who had like a pin or a sticker that said "Do not perceive me." I need to find that because I need it. I I would like that as well. Oh, I'll I'll see if I can find it because it's so good. It's amazing. <laughs> Do not perceive me. <laughs> Fuck. All right. And then the last part of this chapter was Rhea waking up several hours later and being like, oh, God, did I just? And Shindu replies, yes, you did. And hopefully he's too drunk to remember. Wah, wah. <laughs> uh, Good job. Good job, Rio. Yep. Great job, Rio. 10 out of 10. <laughs> 10 out of 22. 10 out of 22. <laughs> Oh, God. Ugh, it's fine. I guess. Are you ready for shit to get real? Yes. Okay. Uh, it is an indeterminable amount of time later. Um, Rio's squad is just outside of Tunis in Tunisia, North Africa. And Sergeant Cole is telling the second squad to gear up. And everybody proceeds to bombard him with complaints about how they're hungry and bored and they have wet boots and they want cookies and shit. Um, Rio says none of this. She says nothing. She hauls herself up off a rock with her rifle and shoulders her heavy pack. 
Um, they start marching and ambling across the desert. Janu starts complaining about why couldn't they have had ended up at typewriters. And Jack gives her a sarcastic remark. Or remark. Bleh. Um, there's a little bit of awkward tension between Jack and Rio, and Rio is trying to deny to herself that they made out and that she was drunk and it didn't count, but she can't help but smile to herself. And she thinks that they're about to walk into hell, and it's good to smile when you can. Which is... Yeah. Which is nice, I guess. This is another indication of, like, oh, maybe she's just, like, really fixating on hot dudes to escape the realities of war. I mean, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Which, like, again, don't blame you. I, I routinely use escapism to not think about the world burning around us. Yeah. Um, so they continue to walk through the desert and it starts shifting from color into gray as night falls. Uh, we get a description of literally everything in Rio's pack, uh, which is mostly clothes and rations and it's 35 pounds and she has to lug it around. And she also has a bottle of pink nail polish that was talked into, she was talked into it by Kat and she regrets it because when Sergeant Cole first saw her painted nails, he just stared at her in sheer disappointment. Um, she is saving the bottle for a special occasion like the end of the war um, and her squad is convinced the war will end in a few months because the Americans have arrived uh, they march on and they finally arrive in an assembly area where the third platoon has already gathered and there's a brief mention of the third platoon and the fifth platoon having some sort of beef but no one knows how it started which seems like very military to me yeah <laughs> like... that's the most military <laughs> thing yeah. <laughs> like, it's very much like your squad is your family and everyone else can fuck off kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was amazed that we didn't hear more, like, between, like, oh, like, Strand, you're dating a girl in the army, a flyboy. Are you yeah. crazy? Like, that yeah. Cause, yeah, because all the branches of the military are very competitive with each other, too. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, there's also talk about how they expected Africa to be all about lions and jungles and sunshine, but none of them have seen a lion yet. It's very disappointing. I love, um, though, that like they were told, hey, where we're going, there are no lions, and all of them are like, there might be, though. <laughs> like They'll <laughs> refuse to give up on their lion fantasies. <laughs> I know! They want to see a lion. Luther could 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 take one and hide it in his coat. <laughs> oh my god, he would though. He'd probably like take a lion cub and then it would be terrible. <laughs> uh. It would be like two months in, they'd be like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's really big now. I can't fit it in my coat. It's gigantic. Also, it it keeps attacking people. <laughs> <laughs> it's attacked 30 people. Oh no. I hope when he dies that his cat will get away and be okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Fluffer McKitty, he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yep. <laughs> uh, so at this point, uh the people in Rio's squad are all bickering and bantering and and conversationaling. Um, but again, she's not participating. It's a dull sound in her ears. She's watching the officers and they all seem nervous. Um, 
Lieutenant Leifer is the 5th platoon commander, and she is described as a beautiful, blonde, class president, homecoming queen type of person. Um, Regina and she announces, George. It's Regina George! Uh, I, feel, I feel personally victimized. As you should. We've all been personally <laughs> victimized by her. <laughs> I should watch that movie. It's been a while. She punched me in the mouth once. It was awesome. <laughs> I heard she does car commercials in Japan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she's there. She's beautiful, I imagine. Um, and she announces that the third and the flip the she announces that the third and the fifth platoon have been ordered to accompany a troop of commandos on a mission. And a sad man named Corporal Hank Milliken is like, well, that's bad. Those guys tend to get shot at. He's the Eeyore of the group. Wasn't he described as like the man who had a sigh for everything? Yeah. Yeah. That was a great description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, their mission is to get on landing crafts and travel 150 miles down the coast in the dark, go ashore, and take out a German communication station. Everyone's like, cool, more boats. Love it. I'm so glad we joined the army so that we could be on boats. Yup. <laughs> uh, Leifer adds that this is a joint operation. The British captain will be in overall command. Everybody starts getting on the landing crafts, and the Navy coxswain starts cussing everybody out for tracking mud onto the boat. <laughs> Which, again, seems very military to me. Yeah, that's so military. Yeah. Um, the boat itself is basically a giant box that can fit the 12 soldiers, a jeep, and some gasoline. The GIs all hunker down for a long, damp ride. As the boat's set off, Rio grips her rifle and wonders if she will even be able to get herself off the boat once they reach their destination and starts feeling the sick dread and the fear. She wonders if she will be a coward and guesses it's time to find out. They're going into shit. Yes, they are. Yay! Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yes, but first, lots of waiting. Um, yeah. So they set, they set off. Everybody passes the time by bantering about getting eaten by sharks, and they talk about lions again because they love lions. Um, they smoke and they play cards in the dark, and it doesn't work out so well, but that's fine. Rio does not participate in any of this. She is trying not to be sick, and she's trying not to think about the stamp man, and she's trying not to imagine herself being a coward and not leaving the boat, and Janu having to drag her off. Um, but eventually boredom tampers her fear and she falls into an uneasy sleep, punctuated by splashes of salt water or people tripping over her. And in the morning, she sees they are a couple miles out from land. Everybody is wet and grumpy. This is where we find out that Luther lost his original kitten to the English countryside, found a nearly identical one, and she is stuffed in his jacket and he's feeding her bits of government cheese. Where it's does he keep getting these kittens? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Every time he goes to a new continent, he's going to get a new cat. I feel like that's accurate. Oh, my God. The other great part of this is that Leifer is seeing this this cat in his coat and she wants to say something and then she figures like well we can't get rid of it there's no place to get rid of this cat so she decides to ignore it 
Yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. I, like, <laughs> I, I love that, like, she is so different than all of the other people they've had to listen to and that she's so unsure. Like, not even that she's unsure. Like, she might know what they have to do, but she commands, like, almost no respect. Yeah, basically. Yes, so the squad starts wondering if there are submarines, but Stick says the water's too shallow for subs, but they should be watching out for planes. Um, ominous. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what we call foreshadowing. <laughs> it's true. Uh, they pass the time with more card games and smoking. And then the coxswain yells and they realize that another boat has been swamped and is sinking and the commandos are inflating their life vests and jumping ship. This entire shit show eats up an entire hour. Um, plus they have to reduce their speed. So now they're only going at about six knots. Um, Lieutenant Helder argues to Lieutenant Lifer that this is stupid and they'll be landing in the dark. But Lifer says that they can't turn back. She will not have the British calling them chicken shit. Um... Later that afternoon, another boat is swamped, and it's one of the American boats, and two people drown. Um, and then, almost immediately after that, somebody spots a plane. The coxswain hits a klaxon to alert the other boats, and one of the sailors hops into the machine gun. Cole orders everybody down. As the plane gets closer, they confirm it is a German plane, and the person at the machine gun starts firing and misses the plane entirely. The plane hmm. eventually veers away, headed towards Sicily. Uh, Sergeant Garriman says that it was likely a scout and he'll either bring a fighter back or alert the communication center that they're supposed to attack. The boat starts heading northwest and Sergeant Cole explains they are trying to throw the Germans off their scent. They have a 90 minute window to see if the Germans send another plane, but the sun goes down and nobody sees one. So they head back on course, but they are hours behind schedule. Tilo says the enemy will be waiting for them when they land, but Cole says there's a lot of beach and the Germans won't know exactly where they'll end up. Rio looks around at her squad mates and she and Janus share a look and she starts thinking about her infidelity to Strand and the regret of it. The boat turns and starts heading towards shore and the coxswain orders all cigarettes to be put out so they can't be spotted. Rio thinks about she's been exhausted for the past 24 hours. She is not ready to fight but she checks all of her shit anyway and prepares herself. They are on the Mediterranean, the cradle of human civilization, where all the ancient empires have fought their wars. Sergeant Cole says they are headed in and they should throw up one last time if they need to, which Kerwin immediately does. He orders them all to be quiet and don't shoot anybody unless he says so. He goes over the call signs. If they call out mustard to somebody and the person does not respond with ketchup, they should shoot him. But he reminds them they are not there to fight. They are there on a stealth mission and they should remember their, their training and keep their heads and they'll probably be okay. They'll reach the beach in five minutes. The jeep fires up and everybody loads their weapons and puts their safeties on. Kerwin jokes with Rhea that there might be angry pigs on the island and she responds she hopes there will be a tree they can climb up. They are called to brace, given their orders, and Rhea realizes she has to pee very badly, which like fucking mood fucking mood yep yep i related to that so fucking hard (laughs) i'm about to do this thing that will not permit me to pee and i have to pee immediately i did not have to pee leading up to this moment i will not have to pee after this moment but right now i have to it's so true (laughs) Woo! what a goddamn mood yep um 
Yes. So, yes. She has to pee. Her breath is short. Her heart is pounding. She prays that she will be brave. She glances at Jack, and she feels Janu's hand grip hers and squeeze. The ramp goes down, and they all move forward. They hear a distinctly non-American shout from the beach, and Rio is hit waist-deep in freezing water that almost drags her under, but Cole pushes her forward, and she manages to pull herself up onto the sand. Then they hear a noise like a big zipper being yanked down hard, and they see streams of tracer fire. Cole orders them to get down, and Leifer orders them to get out of the way of the jeep. Rio moves off to the right and lays in the sand. The machine gun starts up again, and she can hear the sounds of bullets hitting the sand near her, as well as the unfamiliar whimpering sounds coming from her throat. Kerwin, who was a second slower in hitting the ground, gives an O of surprise. She looks over and sees him fall backwards. She asks him if he was hit, and he doesn't answer. The jeep dries off of the landing craft and draws the fire of the machine gun. Somebody yells for a dock. Cole orders Rio to help the doctor with Kerwin, stick and Luther to get the BAR onto the, the sand dune and start shooting, and orders Janu, Tilo, and another soldier named Hansu Pang to follow him. The doctor heads over to Rio and Kerwin, and he snaps at her to pull Kerwin out of the water or he's going to drown. She does and tries to get him to calm down, and she watches the blood spurt out of his neck like a hose kinking and releasing. He's making guttural animal sounds, and she tries to put her hand on his chest to hold him still, but she, realize he, she realizes he has been shot not only in the neck, but also in the chest near his heart. The medic curses and then starts telling Kerwin that it's going to be okay, you're going home, you're going home. Rio feels Kerwin's heart stop, and he gives a final sigh as though sinking into an easy chair after a long day. She hears the machine gun bullets hitting the sand again and has to roll away. Kerwin is dead without getting a chance to speak. His final word was, oh. Yay! Oh no! Yeah, the first brutal freaking moment. Little Kerwin! Yeah. Little Kerwin Cassell from West Virginia. <sighs> Whenever I watch, like, war movies, like, the people that go out first, that, like, immediately get killed... Mm-hmm. That just sucks so bad. Like, before they even do anything, they're just, like, killed. Yep. Fucking shitty. It is It is shitty. And it was a really brutal death scene where it was, like, you didn't realize he was hit really and, like, you kind of knew. And then, like, oh, it's coming from his neck. And then when she puts her hand down and it's, like, right by his heart. And then the medic just, like, says shit. And then, like, all right, you're going home. It's, like, yep. oh, God. Like, the, yeah. the way that that scene builds is, like, brutal. Yeah. It's like, you don't ever want to hear a medic curse, because you know it's over. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's about to get worse, though. Yeah, it is. Oh, so much fucking worse. Oh, my God. All right. So, we cut over to Frangi. She is with the 403rd Artillery Battalion in the Tunisian Desert. She sees and hears artillery fire in the distance and knows there's a battle going on. Her old friend Dune Acey, who is now a buck sergeant, is checking his howitzer over. Trucks keep coming by with boxes of shells and other supplies. This battalion has 24 guns and just under 500 men and women. And uh, they consist of 10 white officers and the rest are black privates and NCOs. And they only have three medics. Um, Frangie goes over her supplies in her med kit. Someone has stolen some of her morphine, but there will likely be enough. 
and there is a water truck nearby, and she knows that water is as important as any medicine, especially here in the desert. She remembers being told by a sergeant from the last war that when a soldier is injured, they'll ask for water. When it's bad, they'll they'll pray for Jesus. And when it's over, they'll ask for their mother. Really fucking good line. Mm-hmm. Um, she watches, she's keyed up, and everybody is stacking up shells and digging foxholes and setting up camouflage. It's freezing in the desert at night, and they are in the shadow of a hill with barely any cover except for some rocks and scrubby brush. Um, in the last hour, a few American soldiers have appeared on the road behind them, some injured, but most not. Some look scared or have lost or thrown away their weapons, and it's not hard to guess that something in the desert went very wrong. A white buck sergeant comes up asking for water, but when he sees Frangie, he proceeds to be a racist shit and moves on his way. Somebody shouts for Frangie somewhere over by Dune's gun. She runs over there to find that one of the gunners accidentally crushed some of his fingers. She splints him up, and Dune winks at her and says, It's about to get real noisy around here. And she comments on the passing soldiers and says, It doesn't look good. And Dune agrees, but says the Germans will get a kick out of the mail that their battalion is about to send them. Frangie thinks that an advantage of segregation is that she managed to find two people she knows, Dune and Sergeant Green, who had given her a passing nod before heading off to keep a lookout and guard the guns with the rest of the infantry patrol. A very young white lieutenant named Pench runs up and announces that they have a live fire mission and gives the coordinates to Dune's crew. They start getting the guns into position, and somebody tells Frangie to back up because the gun will kick. She moves about 10 yards away but wants to see the gun in action and get used to the noise. The, the lieutenant yells to fire one round. The howitzer bucks as it fires, red flames shoot out of the muzzle and illuminate the crew, and the spent casing is pulled out and rolls hot and smoking towards Frangie. Apparently they fired 200 yards short, so they fire again, and it's 100 yards long. They adjust, and then the lieutenant yells to fire and all six howitzers fire at once, and the world seems like one big explosion. The other batteries fire as well, further down the line. Frangie gets called to treat a burn and a soldier who shattered his kneecap standing too close to a gun, and he will have to be evacuated. She's feeling pretty good overall, everything so far being within the scope of her training. There's a brief lull, and then Frangie hears a foreign noise, like a high-pitched whine, and she shouts, What's that? But the men standing close to their guns can't hear it, and a German 88 explodes 150 yards to their right. Everybody starts scrambling to run into the nearest foxholes, knowing that total devastation is coming. Dune and Frangie end up in a foxhole together, and the impacts of the explosions are making the entire ground shake. Frangie's ears are in pain from the noise and the aftershocks. She feels like a mythical thunder god is hammering on her, like a thunderstorm with an intent to murder. She screams, stop it, stop it, as hot metal shrapnel falls into the hole and is quickly followed by the destroyed smoking barrel of a howitzer slamming across the top of the foxhole, cutting off their escape. She smells something hot and burning and chemical, and smacks her uniform and wonders if she is burning. The barrage is never going to stop, and she realizes she's going to die here, right now. And then slowly she realizes it has stopped, and she can only hear a loud ringing in her ears. Dune asks her if she's hurt, and she can't hear him. And he puts his forehead to hers and asks again, and she can feel his words through her bones. She feels destroyed inside, but she is not hurt. Part of the foxhole wall has collapsed, and they might be able to squeeze past the howitzer barrel. They start scrambling at the dirt and yelling for help. Dune pushes his way up and grabs the hot metal of the barrel to pull himself up, and Frangie follows him, panicked and desperate. 
She finally breaches into fresh air, crawls out of the hole, and lays on her stomach for a couple minutes. Then she turns to help Dune up, but he keeps losing grip on her hand and she knows something is wrong. He is sobbing and yelling for help, and even though she can't hear him, and no one else can hear him, she lets go of him and looks around, and it's just total devastation. Everything lies in ruins and wreckage, blown to pieces, people are wandering around aimlessly, the last of the water drips out of the water truck. She finds the young lieutenant, who is staring at a twisted hunk of steel and crying. She grabs him and leads him towards Dune, and they both go to pull him up. His intestines remain behind. He is sobbing and trying to pull them up back into himself, and Frangie is trying to help him and making noises that are not words. Dune looks at her and says something she can't hear, and then he dies. Someone shakes her and says something that she can't hear, but the face looks anguished, so she follows them. A soldier is lying across a, a broken howitzer with a foot missing. Luckily, half of his flesh has been cauterized, which saved him a lot of blood loss, and she gives him a tourniquet and a shot of morphine. A woman is dead. Another man has shrapnel in his chest and belly, and she can only give him morphine and send him off to the field aid station. A few more swallow smaller wounds. A body without a head. A soldier with a shrapnel graze on his thigh demands to be sent home, and Frangie says she can't do it. It doesn't even warrant stitches. He argues that he could have been killed, and she says, then you'd be going home. Her voice is steady, and she's proud of herself for coping. They have only lost three in the attack. After taking care of the urgent cases, she sets up an exam office to treat the minor ones, as the rest of the team hurries to move the battery. The young lieutenant approaches Frangie, and she and he asked if there was anything to be done about Sergeant AC. She said no, it was really bad. She says... He says Dune was a good soldier, and Frangie says she can write to his folks because she knows them. The lieutenant says he will do it, and she asks, wait, isn't this the captain's job to write home? And the lieutenant starts to explain awkwardly that the captain should but won't, and then just insists that they can both write to his parents. Then he asks if there's anything else he can do, and Frangie says he can bring water. He heads off, and Frangie assumes that she has seen the last of him, that he won't come back, because he's done what he thought he had to do, but ten minutes later, some water is delivered. An hour and a half later, the battalion is ready to relocate, and by then, half a dozen, half a dozen soldiers have mysteriously disappeared. Frangie knows she will not tell Dune's parents how he died, and knows that she is in for more terrible things to come as long as she's in this war. She looks down the road and thinks, They can court-martial me. Call me a coward. I don't care. I can't do this. Dear God in heaven, you know I can't. And that's the end of this part. Yay! <laughs> oh, God. Yay! Oh, man. That fucking... That death with his organs spilling out and, like, reaching towards him. Fucking harsh, oh, man. man. Yeah. Fucking harsh. Real harsh. Really, really harsh. Uh, when the narrator said... We'd get our blood and guts. I I wasn't thinking there'd be actual guts. Holy shit. Narrator did not lie to us. <laughs> nope. Whew. Oh, man. Yeah, this shit got really fucking real. <laughs> yep, really quickly. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of just yeah. prep and camaraderie and then build up and then build up and then immediately just fucking tragedy. Just immediate death and destruction and loss and dang. Yep. 
I think the thing though that I liked most I I liked both of these chapters, but I liked Frangie's a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because it was so mundane. Like it felt so safe. Like we were lured into such a false sense of this is a normal day, everything is okay, and then shit just blew the fuck up in our faces. Literally. Literally. And like just the way that it was written was so surprising and then mm-hmm. horrifying and mm-hmm. like everything was shocking. And I I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if these battles are based off of real events. Like real battles had happened. I'm sure some of them are. I mean, I think there's that disclaimer at the beginning, right? That says like, it's all made up. And maybe if there's a reference, it's just kind of accidental other than like really, really big ones. But it's gotta be. I'm sure it is. (sighs) Oh, man. Oh, dang. Oh, dang. I'm sure this was an awkward part to break because I'm pretty sure that, like, there's probably another chapter or two uh, that is, like, taking place at the same time or just after. But uh, We'll never know. We'll never know <laughs> until until we do know in a couple weeks. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, until we do know. Then we'll know. But for now, we'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know what time is or was. Man, I like it was so intense. I want to talk about it, but like I don't I don't even have the words to talk about it. <laughs> I don't know what to say other than just like ah, sad and bad. Yeah, Ugh. and like Rio was so detached. Like Frangie kind of she she also went detached like she just went into her work but that's kind of like a thing that i can understand like you just like shut down and you have work to do you keep going with it but like i am really interested to see what happens with rio because she is not like that that we've seen anyways Mm -hmm. yeah but i think rio has really good instincts because everyone else is like dicking around and letting their guard down and she was always just Mm -hmm. like watching and paying attention Mm -hmm. and always just on guard and i think that's gonna prove very valuable in coming chapters oh i agree i think it's gonna be insanely valuable yeah because like i think i think if it were me i would be on guard but i think i would eventually just like crack under the pressure and lose my head completely and do something stupid and get myself blown up but, like, I think Rio probably has a good sense of, like, I'm going to be very alert and on guard. And then if something happens, I'm going to hopefully keep my head and act accordingly. Right. Because, um, like, you can definitely swing too far in either direction. But I'm thinking she's going to be nicely balanced in the middle. I agree. I think it feels like she's going to really, like, I don't. I don't know if coming to her own is exactly the right expression, but like maybe kind of coming to her own. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to be really good. Oh no, I'm scared. 
Yep. But, you know, Michael Grant's not going to spare us from the horrors of war. He didn't do it in Animorphs. He's not going to do it now. Was Michael Grant ever in the military, did he say? He was not, but his dad was. Okay. (laughs) Do we have anything else? I don't, I like, I don't. I'm kind of like re, re shocked, like listening to it. Like, I know I read it, Uh but then also like just hearing it back. I'm like, yeah, holy shit. That was very intense. Like, I don't think I have (laughs) anything else to say because I'm just kind of sitting here still like, oh God. That was really intense, though. <laughs> oh. The first taste of war. I don't like it. Send it back. <laughs> Gross. I hate it. Gross. I want something I like, else. I would like to speak to your manager. Fair. Ugh. I guess. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> Who's the manager of this war? I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Things got real. They did. Do do you have any last thoughts or things you wanted to bring up or talk about? I don't think so. I just spent most of this yelling about the pacing of the romance. (laughs) (laughs) When it gets to the actual, like, shit that matters, I'm just kind of like, uh. (laughs) Uh. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense, though, because, like, the things that matter stand so well on their own that, like, when something is not quite right, it's glaringly obvious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, shit. Poor Dune. I know. God. Like, at least Kerwin's was a little bit, like, faster. Dune's was not fast. Yeah, Dune's was not fast at all. And, like, Kerwin wasn't really aware. Yeah. Because it's like, if I was going to die in war, I would want it to be, like, pretty instantaneous. Yeah. I I don't want to suffer. If I was going to die anytime, even not war... I would like to die yeah. instantaneously. Yeah, yeah. Yep. If we're this, just making the... a wish list. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. Suffering is not ideal. Please. It's not ideal. Hey. Well, on that terrible disappointment. <laughs> um... <laughs> uh, if you want to write us about what kind of death you'd prefer you could do that. <laughs> oh no <laughs> please don't please don't do that no don't do uh, that but you you could at anonymousanimorse at gmail.com or at applegrantbookclub at gmail.com or you could find us on twitter or instagram at anon or at applegrantcast um, I think instagram is anonymous, the full one but everywhere else is shortened versions yeah. and you yeah. you can find us on facebook at apple grant book club or animal synonymous or join our super secret super awesome subgroup the andalite bandalites yay uh we can also be found on a discord server the animal synonymous discord server where we talk to other animals mm-hmm. fans and we have animals topics and we have other topics and there's fan art and 
pictures of animals and we all wish Charmander a very speedy recovery and um and we help each other and love each other and support each other and you can come hang out with us uh hit us up on any of our socials we'll get you the link to the discord server and you can come hang with the cool kids hell yeah yeah and you can also find archived episodes of animorphs anonymous on our youtube channel that we share with the cadmus to crisis boys you can find that at strong shape international on youtubes hell yeah where you can find us talking to Michael Grant about front lines when we were supposed to be talking about Animorphs, but instead we went off for a very long time about this very book series that we're talking about now. That's right! That is right. <laughs> yeah. So, you can find that. Uh, but what if I tire of listening and staring at people's faces and I would like to stare at faces that are not from this mortal coil but are much better? <laughs> No. Um, if you want to read an extremely, extremely slow burn romance, it is so much slower than anything that Rio's doing. Um, <laughs> Sorry. What a weird, weird dig. Sick burn, Casey. Get him. Sickest. Get him. Oh, my God. Anyway, I have a webcomic. It's called B-Side You. You can read it for free at bsideyoucomic.com. It is also on Tapas and Webtoons. Um, and it is also on Patreon for a small fee. You can help me support the comic and you will get work in progress pages and early access pages. And and at least go read it for free. It's, it's what I love to do. And Dan and I have agreed to a flash sale for only... <gasps> $54 a month. Ooh. You can get the Slater cast this month only, yeah. though. So <laughs> jump on the Patreon. <laughs> Oof. Well, I don't want to do that, but I do want to <laughs> listen. <laughs> I do want to listen to Alex. I love Alex. Her voice is the best. It's the best voice that ever was. Where can I listen to more it's Alex voice? Not. It's the worst voice that ever was. Um, no. You can. <laughs> well, let's see. You're here for Animorphs, or at least you were at one point. So if you would like to hear me do Animorphs stuff, I am on an Animorphs Dungeons and Dragons game called Dungeons and Draken Beams, where I play games with my dear friends. We all pretend to be an Aminorph, and uh, <laughs> it's great. Um, it's very into, I have been told multiple times that you can just feel the teenage angst coming through. So <laughs> we're true. doing something right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can check that out. Uh, Dungeons and Dragon Beams, DNDB pod on Twitter, uh, twitch.tv slash CZ drop. Uh, come check it out. Uh, uh, but if you, uh, like animorphs but are tired of talking about it instead would like to talk about other ya series that were from the like 90s or at least 2000s how about heartland it's a story about horses that's right you can come check out horse girls where we talk about heartland and i say that very loosely because a lot of the times we just talk about other stuff and other horses and it's great <laughs> um 
And this last week's, which this is going to reveal how many weeks out we're recording this compared to when Horse Girls is releasing. So this is also a mystery set within a podcast. Uh, we, t- we talk about this very cool horse that um, got botulism and, and was used for a vaccine incubation and ended up giving a bunch of people. No, sorry, not botulism. I always think it's botulism. It's not. It's the one with the metal where you get cut by metal. Tetanus. Thank you. Jesus. Oh. Got tetanus. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very cool story anyways even though i completely fucked up telling it check out horse girls it's great it's with jenna and tim they're wonderful jenna's famous it's very cool um what else what the fuck else am I- i'm on a show called soup salad sandwich which we kind of did a segment of in the middle of this podcast <laughs> so if you really enjoyed that check out soup salad sandwich it is with famous jenna again and nate who's also on DDB pod it's Look, we're cross crossing the streams all <laughs> over the place. Hell yeah. Um, and then I'm also on a show called Cadmus to Crisis. It's a, it's a Superboy podcast, which is kind of in hiatus right now, but they have a backlog because they've been recording since like 2014. Check it out. It's great. And those are all the places you can find me. There's like a million of them and another one in the works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I'll too. be on. Yay. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah chaos uh, one day i'll tighten that entire ending sequence up <laughs> not today. but it is not this day not not it is not this day but one day nah. oh what's the last oh, thing oh, to do we oh. thanks thanks jess <laughs> yes yes i was just about to say thank you thank you jess we love our music now we Make like good little soldiers and roll off the back of the boat that we are on right now onto the beaches. Oh no. Can I, can I not? I would like to leave the war. Well, considering the war. <laughs> can, can I just go home? <laughs> I, I mean, I think you can. <laughs> I can just go home and not go to prison for deserting. Because I don't know how that yeah, works, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how that works, I think. Cool. All right, let's do it. Okay. All right, bye.